Hello there, everybody. It is Gormy, and it is time. It's been a long while since we did one of these. It's time for another solo episode of the Fat Guy Forum. Today, I'm going to be diving into the questions that all of you asked on Instagram when I put some question boxes out there last week. You know, I had some technical issues and guest scheduling issues and all kinds of fun that, that caused a skip week last week. So I'm excited to be back with you this week and to be diving into your questions. I actually got around 40 questions. Uh, some of them were duplicates, so, you know, we'll cut those down. But we have a lot to dive into, so I've kind of tried to, to s coordinate them a little bit and, and give you some, some structure, but, you know, a lot of it will just be free-form me talking, answering these questions. And at the end, going to talk a little bit about what's coming up on the podcast and a few things there, so if you are interested. Also, at the end, going to talk about all of the ways that you can support this podcast. If you're a long-time listener and you're not a member of the Patreon or you've never bought anything in the links in the bio, we're going to talk about ways that you can support this podcast because I think that's really important. And I just want to keep getting the word out there about the stories that I get to share every week because I think they're really important for everyone to hear. So we'll get into that. But let's dive into questions. And the first ones, we're going to start not necessarily with some easy questions, but we're going to start with a category that's related to food and keto specifically and kind of health. Then we're going to move into like mindset, motivation, all of that. And then we have some questions that were kind of personal for me, some questions about the podcast in general, all that kind of good stuff we'll get to. And so if you ask a question, I hope you're listening. And you're excited to hear what comes as your answer. So let's dive into it. Question number one, let's start with a, a, a good one. Tell me the biggest difference between doing keto on the West Coast versus on the East Coast. So if you're a new listener, you may not know that about a year and a half ago, I am a longtime New England resident, lived in Rhode Island most of my life, and I moved out here to San Diego. I live with my sister here in San Diego. And so what's the difference between doing keto on the East Coast and keto on the West Coast, because I've been keto for over five years now. Honestly, it, it's not about access to products. That's not anything. It's not about access to foods. I think the biggest difference is prices. Things are way more expensive here in California than they were in Rhode Island. So just in general, California living is pretty expensive. And if you live out here, you probably know that's an answer that makes a lot of sense. But that's really the biggest difference. Otherwise, you know, I, I think there's a fair number of people in both regions that are doing keto. So you see the products in markets, you see them in supermarkets, you see them at farmer's markets. You know, you see great accessible things in both coasts. So there we go. The next question, do you have high cholesterol from eating so many eggs? If you follow my Instagram, I usually have eggs once a day. Usually it's in the neighborhood of three. Sometimes it may be more. You know, I've had some days where I've had five or six eggs, but no, I, I do not. My, my cholesterol numbers are all good, um, and they've actually improved over the past couple of years. So I think that is a misnomer. It's kind of like holdover from old science that just eating eggs is going to raise your cholesterol. Uh, dietary cholesterol that you consume has less to do with your actual cholesterol numbers than the way your body is processing it, the presence of certain other things that you're eating, and then also your genetics. So for me, I do not have high cholesterol from eating eggs. Next, Product that I wish existed for keto. This is an interesting question, but to be honest with you, I, I couldn't really think of an answer. Like, I think there's a lot of products out there, um, and I, I don't, 
I don't necessarily think we need more. You know, I, th I think there's a fair amount of things out there that you can get, and you can always make things on your own. And I'm a cook. I like to make things, you know, my own. You can buy avocado oil, mayo in a jar. Chosen Foods is the brand. They're actually based here in San Diego. They are the brand that I prefer, uh, taste-wise and texture-wise. But I like making my own mayo. I like doing things like that on my own. So I don't think that there's a product, per se, that I would say is missing. But, hey, if I ever think of one, I'll definitely post that on my Instagram. Can you talk about how your body feels on keto and why you chose it? Uh, this is a good question. I, I think there's a couple different things. I think my body feels great on keto in terms of energy, uh, lack of joint pain. Um, I, I don't know really how best to describe this, but you know when I'm eating a standard American diet level of, of carbs and processed foods, my body feels sluggish. I don't feel great. You know, my keto, it focuses primarily on whole foods, you know, that give me that clean energy that I need, that sustained energy. I eat a higher fat ratio, so I really have great consistent energy. I don't get those afternoon dips where you feel like you need a nap or anything along those lines. Uh, but the biggest thing, like why I chose keto is because of the challenges that I face with cravings and food addiction and all of, you know, kind of that that was such a, a dominating part of my life. And eating keto actually relieves some of the physical sides of those issues, like the cravings, the constant need to fuel, you know, refuel my body because I have that consistent fat as a fuel source. So I don't always feel like I have to keep turning to food. I get by on two meals a day. I get plenty of calories for my body and I feel great. So for me, I chose keto because it gave me some of, of that relief so I could start working on where cravings were coming from. Were they emotionally driven? Were they coming from something else? And so I think for me, really building mindfulness in concert with keto, you know, has been the key to success. But that's really kind of why I chose keto. I knew that low-carb diets were things that my body responded to, which is what kind of made me dip my toes in. And all the lessons I've learned over the past five years, you know, keep me there. And there's another question coming up in a bit that will dive further into that. Um, someone asked us a question that sounds pretty simple. Do I diet every day? Um, well, I think if you go by the definition of diet, which is like what you're eating, we all diet every day. Uh, am I dieting every day with the intention of weight loss? No. Um, there are times where I'm just maintaining there are times where I'm trying to focus on weight loss. Right now, I'm in a period where I would like to gain some of the weight I've put on the past two years. Um, so I am, you know, in a caloric deficit and working on kind of like what macro ratio feels best for me. Um, I do find that for my body, having that fat percentage up higher um, gives me better energy and also, you know, gives me, like I was saying earlier, uh, relief from cravings and hunger and kind of helps regulate kind of my body's hunger responses. So do I diet every day? Not all the time, but right now I would say that it's, it's pretty much a daily thing. Um, here is another good question. That sounds pretty simple on its surface, but I, I think really has a, a much deeper response behind it. And that question is, how do you prevent overeating? You know, I wish there was one simple answer to this because I think overeating is something that a lot of people struggle with and, you know, face as a challenge for a fair percentage of their lives. Like, and it can always be about being driven by different things. And so I think at the end of the day, you prevent overeating, one, 
obviously find a way of eating that works for you that allows you to maintain a caloric deficit in a way that also allows you to maintain your sanity. Um, for me, that's keto. But you also want to work on what are the reasons that you're eating. For some folk, like especially if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you know there are some guests that come on the show and really talk about the fact that they gained weight through habit. They were never really taught about food. They didn't really know about portions, and they always had access. So they developed poor eating habits, and it was never about a coping mechanism or an emotional response to food, which for other people it really can be. It can be about processing traumas. It can be about a lot of different things. And so you have to identify yourself kind of where is the overeating coming from? What's driving it? Is it the food you're eating that's causing cravings and driving hunger? You know, for a lot of people who realize that by lowering, you know, the amount of processed food that they're eating, by lower amounting, low, specifically lowering the amount of processed carbohydrates that they're eating, that they may find, you know, some relief from that drive to overeat. You know, there are people that eat, you know, I know someone out there listening is going to be like, well, you know, I ate processed food every day. You know, there are examples of people that ate McDonald's every day and lost weight. There are examples of people that ate, eat cookies every day and lose weight. But I just know for me, in order for me to maintain control of what I'm eating, if I include those things every day or even once a week, uh, it's harder for me to maintain that control. You know, I find that ability to do that is challenging. So I think one of the primary things for you to do is work on where you think that overeating is coming from. Is it habits that you need to work on? Is it a mindfulness that you just don't have around food and your food choices? Is it driven by something deeper emotionally? And is that something that you need to work on? There's no shame in realizing that you have challenges on the mental side that you need to address before you can even start to change the food side of things. But you prevent over so preventing overeating, I guess, is not as easy as saying just put the fork down. It's really about trying to find the tools that are going to help you be able to do it in a sustained way and also identifying what's driving some of those behaviors. And if it, you can find out what that is, you can make a determination about what you need to change or what's possible to change, you know, and you may find that there are things that you don't want to change. You know, it's really very personal in terms of figuring out how to prevent it. But I think starting with that place of just sitting down and saying, why do I think I do the things that I do? Where do I think this came from? And how does that then impact what I'm going to start putting on my plate or is a great place to start. A follow-up question, not from the same person, but one that I think relates is, how do I stop indulging in those things that are not bringing me towards my goals? Again, you know, it's about thinking about why you're indulging in those things. What is eating that food giving you? What is, that's something I talk a lot with my clients when, you know, they say, I ate this or I ate that and I know that I shouldn't have. And I'm like, well, why do you think that you did? You know, really, where did it come from? Was it access and you haven't had access in a while? Is it you had a really bad day at work or you had a fight with a partner or a spouse or someone at work? or a brother, or a sister, or anyone, or you're frustrated by your kids, you know, is there something driving you emotionally that you draw comfort from food, so that's why you turn to it? Was it you had planned out your day perfectly, and that plan didn't go perfectly, so it was like, screw it, I'll just start over again tomorrow? You know, were you making excuses for yourself like that, which can happen sometimes? Like, I think it's about looking at why you think you're overindulging, and then also going to that place, you know, there's another important part of this question, and that's that it's not bringing me to my goals. If something isn't bringing you towards your goals, you have to look and evaluate why you think it's in your life, why it is impacting you, 
And also look at those goals. Like I, I think really sitting down and understanding why you want to achieve the goals is important. Do you really have a clear vision of why you want to be doing what you're doing? That's one of the most important questions. I think sometimes we don't ask. I think sometimes our whys are very superficial. So I think really diving into that is really, really important. Um, and then how do you how do you stop it? You know how to stop it. You don't eat it. You don't buy it. You don't keep it in the house. You don't keep it around. You don't give yourself access to it. But it's about finding the strength to be able to do that and the tools you need to be able to do it. That really is kind of the important first step there. So I would think about those things. And also work on practicing mindful eating. And I, I don't want mindful eating because maybe someone else defines it a different way. But for me, when I say mindful eating, it's the idea of not just looking at what's on your plate, but asking yourself every time you eat anything, why am I eating this? Why is this something that I'm putting in my body? Is there a purpose? Am I doing it because I think it's going to fuel me properly? Or am I doing it because I'm using it for entertainment? I'm using it as a coping mechanism. I'm using it for comfort. I'm using it to escape something. There's a lot of different reasons why. But if you can start practicing being mindful about every choice you make when it comes to food, it becomes easier to do that. It's like a muscle that you build up. So then you start thinking, you know, because there are going to be times, all of us face them, I face them, where we make choices with food that have nothing to do with properly fueling our bodies, have nothing to do with properly giving our bodies the nutrients that we need. We're eating something because we just want it. We're eating it because it's something fun. It's something new, something we haven't tried, all of those reasons. But when you can make those decisions mindfully, so then you can say, you know, well, I did that two weeks ago, and I really don't think I should do that again so soon. You can start putting it all in perspective and getting some context. So start practicing that mindfulness around everything that you're doing. Not only when you have your day fully planned out, you know, again, even if you know that you have a meal properly planned out and you're sitting down to eat it, remind yourself, why is this the meal that I'm eating right now? Why is this important? And I, I think starting there is a great idea. So we are going to switch gears and head into some questions that really are about motivation and mindset and things along those lines. And the first question is, any suggestions for stoic books or podcasts? Um, podcasts, there's a ton of them out there. Um, so, and to be honest with you, I don't necessarily have any specific podcasts that I, that I listen to that are dedicated to the works of the Stoics. Um, I know Ryan Holiday does have a podcast, and which kind of leads me into books. And the books I would recommend, I think that Ryan Holiday's first three books are really, you know, well, they're, they're not necessarily his first three books, but they're considered a, a trilogy together. And that's Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and Stillness is Key. Those books provide a great, easily accessible introduction to the works of Stoic philosophy and give you great examples, real-life examples of putting things into practice. And they're short readings. You know, it's nothing really intense or long or overwhelming. So I think they're a great way to kind of dip your toe in. Uh, Ryan Holiday also produced a, a reader called The Daily Stoic that has a reading every day. And there's also a journal that you can get that goes along with it that I think is great. Really, though, I think once you've kind of started diving in and start to read in terms of like, because I, I think one of the important things with Stoic philosophy is not just reading someone else's interpretation of it, but also making your own interpretation of it. So I would really encourage you to go to the source, you know, and read actual texts by the Stoic philosophers. Like the big three that come into mind for me would be reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, reading Seneca's Letters from a Stoic, 
or reading any of the works of Epictetus. Um, probably mispronouncing some of those names. It is what it is. But I say go right to the source um, after you kind of check out. Honestly, for me, the number one book that I recommend to people if they haven't read is Obstacle is the Way. It's a book that I read when I was in the hospital with pneumonia, and it really changed my life in a lot of ways, like being able to start diving into that philosophy. So that's where I would encourage you to start. Next question, how do you stay motivated? Hmm. Well, I, I think the first answer really is I don't. Um, I think motivation fades. I think we have these images by looking at social media, other people's pages, you know, well curated pages, you know, by individuals and influencers and that basically present this motivated life where it's 24-7 go, 24-7 burning constantly, you know, rocket fuel through their veins, you know, all of that. And I just don't think that that's real. You know, at the end of the day, I think we all have days where we're not motivated. I can tell you, I had days last week where I get up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym and I just did not want to go. And I dragged myself out of bed. I got ready. I got in the car. I drove to the gym. I sat in the parking lot and tried to convince myself not to go in. I ended up going in anyway because it wasn't motivation that was keeping me going. It was consistency and discipline. So I think motivation is great. It's an amazing spark, especially when we have motivation to start something. But I think it's about remembering that it's that consistency and discipline. It's that doing things when you don't want to do them that really leads to the biggest wins that really carries you forward. You know, especially when it comes to like eating decisions and working a food plan and all of those things. Like there are going to just be some days where you want to say, screw it. And you know, you can't because you have goals that are important. You know, like my, my biggest goal was making sure that I didn't die when I was getting started. You may be in that same place listening. You may be that person who is seeing the diagnoses mounting with illnesses. You can feel your body slowing down. You, you know what that feels like if you're out there. So you can have some motivation, but you also might just feel like saying, is it too late? Is there nothing I can do? Like, it's about starting to build change and create that list of non-negotiable things you're going to do every day for yourself. What are those things that you're going to keep doing, even if you don't feel like doing it, even if motivation is gone? You know, that's really important. You know, it's, it's powerful. In the end, when you're able to say to yourself, you know what, I didn't really feel like doing this today, but I did it anyway. You know, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to eat something else. I wanted to stay in bed. I wanted to do X, Y, and Z, but I did what I needed to do. You know, when you really break down what you need versus what you want, you know, it becomes easier to do things without motivation. But use that motivation when you have it. It's going to come back. You know, you're going to start stacking up those wins. You're going to start feeling better. And you're going to feel that motivation come back, even if it wanes. So that's the time then to basically be using like two weapons at once, consistency and motivation. But know that even when you're not motivated, you can still continue to do the things you need to do every day to take care of yourself. Next question. I need to forgive myself for gaining all of my weight back plus some. How did you cope with this emotionally? That's a really great question because honestly, I don't think I did cope with it really well emotionally. I, I think I covered up the emotions and tried to do my best to not feel and tried to focus on feeling like I was in control and that I was making the choices that I wanted to make and that nothing else was was behind any of it. 
And so I don't necessarily think that how I coped with my regain is something, you know, that I would say to someone else, oh, just do this, just do X, Y, and Z. Like, I, I think in the end, it's the same way you deal with any emotional challenge. It's about, you know, realizing that I think that first, that first line in that question is so important. It's about forgiving yourself. You know, realizing that forgiveness is never about the, the, the external person you're forgiving. It's always about yourself. I think the same thing goes for when you have to forgive yourself. It's about allowing you to realize that the past has happened. You have no control over the past. You cannot change it. You can be upset with yourself for decisions and choices that you made, but you can't change them. All you can do is work on what you're doing moving forward. And if that means taking care of yourself emotionally by reaching out to someone, you know, finding someone to talk to, finding someone, you know, whether that's finding a support group, talking to a therapist one-on-one, -on -one, finding a friend who can listen, finding someone who's been through a common experience on the internet, you know, on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, you know, someone that you end up trusting and relating to and have great conversations with can be really important. You know, it's about allowing yourself to process how you're feeling. I think the most important thing is to realize that it's not about sitting in those feelings, though. You know, it's not about sitting and being mad at yourself. It's about realizing that what happened happened and I need to move forward and I need to give my, the biggest way to forgive yourself is to move forward, you know, to start making the healthy choices that you know you need to make for yourself again. Doing some honest assessment about whether the tools you use were the right tools for you or if you need something else, if you need a different level of accountability or support and, and just starting to do it. You know, there's no magic trick. There's no way to say this is going to make everything go away. And even the emotional side of things, you know, we all struggle with regret as human beings. But it's when we, we allow regret to be paralyzing that nothing moves forward. So give yourself time to process, but also give yourself the grace to say, these are things that happened and they're not things that I want to repeat. So I'm going to do what I need to do to move myself forward. I think that's a good, at the, at the very least, I think that's a good place to start. Next question. The biggest game changer you wish you knew much earlier? Ah. Uh, when I saw this question, I, I had a lot of thoughts about it. Like, is it about a way of eating? Is it about a way of moving? Is it about a mindfulness trick? Is it about, you know, something along those lines? And I think, honestly, the biggest game changer I wish I knew much earlier relates to the question about Stoic philosophy and also relates to the answer I just gave. And that's that, you know, it was when I read Obstacle is the Way that I came across this idea of controlling what I can control and trying to let go of the rest. And I think that it was the game changer for me. You know, that idea that if I'm getting stressed out, if I'm getting overwhelmed by something, sitting down and honestly saying, what are the things in this situation that I can control? And what are the things that I can't? And taking those things that I can't and take, removing them from the page, crossing them off, and focusing on those things that I can control because there's all kinds of things in our lives that we want to be able to control. Usually it's about how other people respond to things or they respond to things that we put out there. We have no control over that. All we can control is what we put out into the world and how we respond to what the world sends back to us. So really getting to that place of identifying what can I control right now? You know, some days what I can control is getting out of bed, moving my body, fueling my body, eating and getting to bed on time. And there's nothing else throughout my day that I have much control over. But that's enough. It's about realizing that what you can control is enough. 
And if you're in situations where things are completely out of your control and you don't want to be them anymore, be in them anymore, the control you can exert is choosing to get out of those situations. And I don't say that as something that's easy. You know, I've talked to people who are in work situations or relationship situations where things are going on that are not healthy for them. And so the changes they need to make were big, major changes. But they had to realize that the only things that they could control were making those changes and stepping into that unknown and being willing to take risks. So for me, that biggest game changer in the end boils down to learning to accept that I can only control the things that are within my control and that I need to work on letting go of the things that I can't. That's not easy. It's not easy to let go of the things that you can't control, but it's important. So I just encourage you, if you're out there, you're in a situation that's stressing you out or help making you feel overwhelmed or even you're trying to get started and just feeling completely overwhelmed, you know, about all these different choices you can make and all these different paths you can take. Break it down into something small. Think about it one day at a time. What are the things you can control in that one day? And I guarantee that eventually, you know, it'll, it'll start to get a little bit easier. The next question. Do you have times of apathy, meaning when you struggle to care about anything food or nutrition related? Well, yeah. Um, right now, I would say that I would call that the second half of 2020 and most of 2021. Um, I think, excuse me, we go, all go through periods. We all go through periods in our lives where things feel really overwhelming and we shift our priorities and we shift the things we're focusing on. And sometimes that means putting that focus and mindfulness in place in other areas like food, like nutrition, you know, takes a backseat. And I'm never saying that's a good thing, but I'm saying it's a reality. You know, for me, you know, I, I had to kind of have that come to come to gourmet discussion months ago where I was like, you, you, you're not putting enough, you're not paying enough attention to what you're doing. You know, this is why things are happening. There's, you know, nothing outside of my control was influencing the choices that I was making with food. And I, I think we go through those periods where you feel that way. But I think it's that skill of mindfulness that, what's the best way to phrase this? Like, allows you to realize that you're doing it. I think that's important. I think sometimes, you know, especially those of us that have struggled with being significantly overweight, have lost weight, put weight back on, all of those things, you know, we go through those periods where we try to shut that mindfulness off intentionally because we know if we're mindful, it's going to weigh on us even more, the choices we're making. And honestly, I didn't shut my mindfulness off. I more was coming from a place of, I know that I'm, I know that these are the choices I'm making. I know that this is what I'm doing. And I'm not saying I, I encourage you to do that. You know, I think it's the way I chose to react to a lot of different situations going on, you know, not really mostly in the world, what was going on mostly in my personal life. But I think in the end, it came down to me saying, when is enough enough? And when do I need to realize that just being mindful doesn't mean that I'm taking action? That's important. You know, I think there are times where, you know, we say we know we're doing things and we still do them. And so it's about, okay, so why am I still doing this? What am I getting out of it? being honest about those answers and allowing that to help you move forward. Um, I wish I could say that here's the trick to, to take that apathy away. I think the biggest thing is to revisit your why for why making those changes, why being mindful about food and nutrition was important to you before. And then saying, is that the, th is that the same thing that I'm feeling right now? Or is there a different thing I need to be thinking about, a different purpose, a different reason for what I'm doing? 
Has it evolved? Have I evolved? Have I changed? But dive into that why. Don't just ask yourself that question once. Get an answer and then ask again, but why? But why? Do that three, four, five, six times until you really feel like that answer resonates for you emotionally. You know, I think that was important for me at many points in my journey to do that, to help me kind of get out of that place of that mindful apathy. So I think in the end, you defeat apathy with purpose. You know, apathy kind of, to me, feels like when things feel meaningless, when things don't really feel like they have a purpose. So find that purpose and build action around that purpose. Build action every day. Build action every week. Don't worry about what you're doing for the next year. Worry about what you're doing for the next 24 hours. And give yourself the gift of that mindful action for 24 hours. And then you'll realize that you did it and that you can do it again. And you'll keep building. So that would be, you know, my, my thoughts on that area. Um, we had a question, how long did it take for you to realize keto is long-term sustainable for you? And I was trying to decide, do I answer this with kind of the initial keto questions or with mindset? And I think it, it, I wanted to put this answer in mindset because I think, you know, how long it took for me to realize keto is long-term sustainable for me had to do with how, how long it took for me to really start to be mindful of, of not just my choices when it came to food and activity and all of those things, but when I felt like I really had that strong sense of my why and my purpose. And for me, it was probably close to a year into my journey. Um, in 2017, February, I started keto, and it was late 2017 when I got diagnosed with double pneumonia, almost died in the hospital, and like they you know, often happens for people, Facing your mortality has a big impact on your life. And for me, the impact was what I had been doing actually saved my life because I would not have survived what I went through if I had been in the condition I had been in just six, seven months before. So for me, it validated what I had been doing and was the point where I realized this is something that I not only need to do, uh, you know, not only want to do going forward, but it's something that I need to do. Um, I think my approach to keto has, has grown and evolved. And I think it always will. I don't think there is one way to do keto. I think there's a lot of different ways, you know, to get yourself to that place. The same way I don't think there's any one way to lose weight. I don't think any one tool is better overall in the end. I think they all have different value for people. Uh, but I think it's about whether it's giving you the value that you need. And for me, it allows me to live um, a sustainable, healthy life. So that is really, you know, I think it was, you know, like I said, just about a year in for me to realize that it would be long-term sustainable for me, but that feeling just continues to grow as time passes. Next question, what is the importance of mental health? Um, well, I think all health is important. Physical health, emotional health, and mental health, you know, and I guess emotional and mental health are really kind of the same thing in a lot of ways. But I, I think it's really important to realize that while we, as a, as a culture, are, are very much about what do I need to do procedure-wise or medicine-wise or, you know, diet and exercise-wise to take care of things physically, and we sometimes forget about the mental health side. So I think it's, it's really important to pay attention to it. I think it's important to realize that if that's something that you're struggling with, there's no shame in getting help. There's no shame in reaching out. There's so many different, you know, especially as we've all evolved through COVID times, you know, there's so many ways now, even through like telehealth and using Zoom calls and being able to get to a therapist 
you know, it, you don't even necessarily have to get to their office. You know, you can do it through, you know, video interaction and things along those lines. There's a lot of different ways to work on your mental health, um, but I think it's it's really important that you you find what's going to work for you. When you realize that your mental health affects your physical health, the mind and the body are not separate. You know, when we are in a place of high anxiety or dealing with strong emotions and feeling overwhelmed, you know, our bodies suffer. You know, we either feel it through aches and pains and lack of sleep, but also I, I think, you know, it impacts our relationship with food. It impacts our relationship with other people. Like, you know, really seeing it as important, you know, so I guess, can you answer a question with a question? You know, how important is mental health? Well, it's very important. Um, I think that's the basic answer. But really, at the end of the day, I think if you are, especially if you're someone out there, you know, like, let, let's, I'm going to speak to the people that have been through similar experiences to me that were four, five, six, 600, 700 pounds or more. If, if you lived life that significantly overweight, there probably is something going on on the, the inside of your head that that needs something some paying attention to you know needs some work and that doesn't necessarily mean that every i'm saying every person needs therapy every person needs medication anything along those lines but i'm saying that every person you know who at some point in their lives has used food to the extent that it endangered their health you know that's something to pay attention to that's something to give some thought to and something that you might want to devote some resources to you know whether that's just your time and energy, or even financial resources in terms of reaching out to someone for help and for support. But realize that prioritizing your mental health and your physical health can happen concurrently. Next question is, what is the most important lesson you've learned on your life journey, not just on your weight loss journey? Hmm. It, it's funny because part of me wanted to say the answer to this one is what I had just talked about a little while ago in this episode about controlling what I can control. You know, I think that's really important. But I think in the end, there's a facet to that that really is the most important lesson that I have learned. And what that is, is you can't change the past. You can't live in regret. You can't alter things that have happened already. You know, I think I, I many points in my life, I spent a lot of time wishing that I could and devoting energy just to stressing out over the fact um, that I wish I could. But I think it's when you learn that you can't change the past and that all you can do is change what happens going forward that, that you start to feel free, that you start to feel like you're not carrying a burden anymore. Your past can be lessons that you've learned. Your past can teach you about what you want your future to look like, but you can't just keep carrying it around all the time. And if you're someone that feels stuck, like you're carrying your past around, past mistakes, past choices, past experiences, all of those things, I, I encourage you, you know, to get help to work on that. Like, I, again, it's not easy. None of these things I'm saying today are easy. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, weight loss. It's the same thing with, with getting into an exercise habit. Uh, a lot of these things can sound simple, but it doesn't mean that they're easy to do. And I'm in no way implying that they are. But I think the greatest gift you can give to yourself is letting go of regret. And, and that to me truly you know, it's, it's the lesson I've learned and it's something that I still struggle with. Like, like I'm saying, it's not easy. You know, there are times that I, I regret things that I did 20 years ago, 25 years ago. You know, I, you know, I would say the biggest regret that I still carry around in my life is how I handled college. You know, how I approached my education in college because education had been such an important thing to me 
grammar school, middle school, high school, all of those things. And then getting to college, it was almost like education was secondary to everything else I was doing in my life. And I wish I had, had given it more time and thought and care. And I would, on some levels, love to, to live that experience again. But I've also realized that that's, that's not a realistic, you know, it's not a realistic thing to think that I could relive something. If there's something I need to learn more about, educating, my, living, being a lifelong learner is really important. But, and I take that very seriously now because of those lessons I learned from the past. But I can't live in that regret. I can't allow myself to stay there. It's the same thing when it comes to if you stepped off your diet, you know, you had a, a bad weekend. So I'm recording this and launching it on a Sunday. So maybe Friday and Saturday were not great times for you. Maybe they didn't go the way that you wanted them to go. That's okay. Because today's a new day. Tomorrow's a new day. Allow yourself to say, I did what I did. Don't punish yourself for it. Give yourself the gift of just getting back to making the healthy choices that you need to make. So for me... I guess in the end, it also relates to weight loss in that it's something that helped me a lot on that journey that I've been on. Next question. How to move from contemplating to actually doing? I feel like I'm so stuck in my food addiction. Um, well, I, I think one, to speak to food addiction specifically, I think it's important to realize that you may need help. You may need you know one-on-one -on -one accountability, whether that's through working with a coach who has experience working with people with food addiction or talking to a counselor, talking to a therapist, you know, talking to family and friends, like working on that side of things. But how do we move from contemplating to doing? I, I, I think we contemplate, you know, it's that idea of paralysis by analysis. We want things to be perfect. And I think it's sometimes that we have to realize that that desire for perfection, especially if you're someone that struggles with food issues like food addiction or binge eating or any of those things, you know, it's that desire for perfection that enables that behavior. Because if things aren't perfect, things might be just as bad as they're going to get. You know, I've had that conversation many times with clients, you know, and I've, I've had a couple that it's really resonated with who were like, you know, I didn't realize that my desire to have a perfect week was something that was triggering binge behavior. Because if I slipped up, it gave me permission. You know, if I wasn't perfect, it gives me permission. And I think it's that idea then of saying, let me start taking action, whether it's perfect or not, because I'm still moving forward. So how do you start doing? You start doing. Put a plan in place. It may not be perfect day one, but set up that plan, what it's going to look like. What are the choices I'm going to make? Start small. You know, that's something the guests on this podcast have said a lot, you know, when we get to that advice part during the Fat Guy Five, you know, what's one thing you can do today? I've heard so many of them say, go for a five-minute walk, give up soda, drink more water, start journaling what you're eating. You know, small actions lead to bigger actions. So be willing to try something. Be willing to try and adapt and change and realize that, it's very easy to stay stuck in that place of contemplation, that place of planning. And it's about doing to see if something really works, giving yourself time, giving yourself that chance. So identify, you know, you want to move, you feel like you're stuck today and you want to start doing tomorrow. Identify three small things you can do tomorrow. And when you get to the end of the day, assess how they went. Did it go well? Did it not go well? Are those the three things you need to do the next day? Are there things that need to change? You know, give yourself that grace. Give yourself that mindfulness. 
and allow your actions to build. <coughs> Excuse me. You don't have to, you know, even when I talk to people who are following a standard American diet or they want to transition to keto, you know, I don't, even when I'm working with a client who comes to me and they're eating, you know, four, five, six hundred more grams of carbs a day, you know, and that's very realistic for some people. Um, I don't then say, okay, let's drop you down to 20 tomorrow. You know, it's, let's, let's try to make some small manageable changes that allow you to start making choices that are going to help you to feel empowered and allow you to feel like you're actually doing something. Be mindful of what you're doing. Write it down. Write it down at the end of the day. Check things off a checklist. Feel like you're accomplishing something. Build that up and it will get better and easier to do even more. And if you pick a way of eating, like say you decide to give Weight Watchers a try and you're 30 days in and you don't feel like it's working, try something else. Don't give up on yourself. Realize that you know, you've given it a chance. Maybe that's not the right tool. Maybe it's time to try something different. You know, allow yourself to evolve and grow as you go through this process. So that would be my advice. I did get a question um, related to an actual specific guest on a podcast episode that I wanted to dive into in this area. Um, and it's actually two questions from the same person. So the question was, how is the guy who ate a Slim Jim and a Nature's Valley granola bar for 13 months? And this is referring to Rodney, who was on episode 155. And Rodney shared a lot during his episode. And honestly, if you listened, he shared things that I didn't know before we started recording. And you can hear it in my voice when I'm hearing, you know, what he's saying, you know, concern and, you know, almost shock and overwhelm. Like I was like, okay, this is what we're talking about. You know, these are the things that he did. You know, Rodney really took some extreme measures to get his weight loss started. And as he grew more devoted to health and the gym and, and you know, living that, that lifting lifestyle, you know, he had a lot of people come to him and say, uh, you need to be eating more or you need to be eating, you know, better. If you want to get stronger, these are things you need to be doing. And his, that's the, the thing that I took towards the end of that episode from him was that he was willing to realize, like, and when he, when he shared the, the behaviors that he engaged in, he said, these are not things anyone should do. You know, and he's 100% correct. No one should do that. He knows he shouldn't have done that. And he realized that he needed to learn more and he needed to grow and learn as a person. I think sometimes we all make mistakes. You know, there are some of you out there listening who might have slim tummy tees and flat stomach wraps and all kinds of things sitting in your closet that you bought that you realized were not great choices or not things you should be doing. You know, detoxes, all of that garbage, you know, that actually, you know, does nothing for you in the end. You realize that you need to learn and grow more to fuel your body properly, to reach your goals and do that. And I think that's a lesson that Rodney really learned and he, he lives now. If you go follow his Instagram, you know, he lives that every day and he's doing great now. And, you know, the, the person asked a follow-up question to this and that was, what was worse? His extreme diet or, and I think they're asking my opinion, do I think what was worse for him, the extreme dieting or being obese? And especially as obese as he was at his age. And I think in the end, you know, it's a very individual question. You know, I think there's the possibility for real sustained health impact on some of that extreme dieting, whether that's eating disorder behavior or severe caloric restriction. You know, they've done studies on the Biggest Loser contestants and the severe caloric restriction coupled with the activity that they were doing damaged their metabolisms in some ways almost permanently. Like it's going to take a lot of work for them to get back to where, 
you know, they can get all of their hormones regulated properly again and, and actually allow their bodies, you know, to have a, a fully functioning amount of calories and all of that. And so I think extreme dieting can have a really negative impact on a person's body. But I also think that being extremely overweight can have a negative impact. And in the end, no one can make the determination of which, which path or choice is worse or better for a person except for that one person. You know, I think it's, it, it's extremely individual, you know, in terms of what are the challenges and what are the detrimental effects. But I, I don't think he, if he were to come back on right now and you were to say to him, you know, what was worse, I think he, his answer would be what mine is and that, that both were pretty bad for him. And so now he has work to do, you know, on his health that he's doing every day, you know, so I, I don't think it's about saying, well, being that overweight was, was worse than the measures he took to lose weight. So, you know, it's okay that he did it. And it's not also okay to say that the, those extreme health measures did more damage to his body than being overweight. Cause that's something, that's a question that only a doctor could answer that may be accurate but that's only something a doctor could answer. So I would encourage you to check out Rodney's episode if you don't know what I'm talking about. And in the show notes for that episode is a link to his Instagram profile. You can catch up on all the amazing things that he's doing now and check in with him. So if you're out there, go check him out. Check that out. Last question in this section is not a serious question. Um, Who do you admire the most and why is it the keto guy? Uh, The keto guy is a friend who was on the podcast very, very early on, way back. But I'm going to answer his question. You know, who do I admire most? I admire every person who's getting up and doing something for themselves today. And I'm not going to say that I admire every person who's losing weight or every person who's getting stronger. I admire every person who is making the right choices for themselves that day, whatever that is. And that may mean that you're not even trying to lose weight, that you're just living life, but you're living life in a mindful way, making the choices that you need to make. You know, I admire people that, you know, all walks of life who do that. Um, Why is the keto guy one of those people that I admire? Um, Mostly because he's amazing at barbecue. You know, he can, no one, you know, I don't see a lot of people out there, you know, who can handle um, cooking up some meat like he can. So I admire that. You know, I wish I was that good when it comes to those things. So let's move on to some questions that are kind of general questions for me and also questions about the podcast. You know, I think it's time for us to do that. Let's dive into the first question. Hard-hitting investigative journalism going on here, people. So is coaching your full-time job or are you looking for another since the store you worked at closed? Uh, Great question. I wish coaching was my full-time job. You know, I wish coaching people and creating this podcast and putting that out there for everyone was something that would be full-time support for me. But honestly, it's not right now. Um, I would love to see it be there someday. You know, it, it takes care of a lot of things for me, and I have a ton of clients that I really respect and, you know, love seeing all that they're doing. But right now, is it a full-time thing? It's not. So I am uh, working towards finding something that allows me to continue doing that work and also pay the bills. So you got to do what you got to do, right, people? So I'm doing that. Next question. What is the most exciting thing you did after weight loss that you wouldn't have ever done? <sighs> it's funny. You know, I... I most exciting thing after weight loss that you wouldn't have ever done. It's really hard because I think about all the things that I had planned and then COVID shut down the world and none of those plans came to fruition and through COVID lost my career that I had been working at for years 
uh, two careers. Um, had a lot of changes happen personally. You know, moved out here to California. So I wish there was something I could say is like, did an extreme sport or something along those lines that people would be like, wow, I want to do that too. Um, but, I, you know, the things that first popped into my head were, you know, everyday easy things like flying in one seat on a plane and not needing a seatbelt extender, not having to worry about fitting in people's cars, you know, being able to walk wherever I want to walk, you know, all of that, um, which, you know, I think are NSVs that a lot of people, non-scale victories that a lot of people come to when they go on an extreme weight loss journey. Um, for me, I think, honestly, I think the most exciting thing, though, and this is going to sound corny probably a little bit, but the most exciting thing that has come from my experience, you know, losing weight and going keto and all of those things is now working as a coach with people one-on-one -on -one and also in a group setting um, to allow them to work on building the accountability mindset and nutrition information they need to help them achieve their goals. Helping people, you know, has always been a part of my life on, on some level, you know, when working with people in a um, a, a mentoring space has also been a part of that. And to be able to apply that experience now for people who are on a health journey has just honestly been very rewarding and something that I am grateful for every day and would never have happened, you know, if I hadn't gone on this journey myself. And I look at all the amazing people that I've met and, you know, not just clients, but, you know, even through experiences that are, you know, one of them that's coming up soon again that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, being able to meet people and build connections and talk to people that I never thought I would have been able to talk to. Um, this podcast was a result of my journey. Like all of these amazing things continue to happen and they wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gone on this journey. So that's my answer there. Would I ever consider a Disney and Florida trip next year if it was possible financially? I would always consider that if it was available financially. I would love to be able to do that. I have family in Florida and a lot of friends that I would love to be able to meet in person. So, um, of course, I would do that if it was fiscally possible. Will it be? Honestly, I don't know. Ask me again later. Um, second favorite movie besides Lost Boys. If you follow me on any social platform or know me personally, you know that the Lost Boys 1987's vampire hit, cult classic, whatever you want to call it, um, is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, picking a second is really hard, but it's probably, um, it's probably Stand By Me. Um, there's just something about that movie that really speaks to me, uh, the experience in it, and um, nothing hits me harder, you know, in the feels than the end of that movie. So uh, Stand By Me is probably my choice. What is the least obvious, most unexpected thing you've learned from doing the podcast? Um, that's a good question. And it, it's something actually that is about the commonality of the experiences of the men that have been on the podcast. You know, we're well over um, almost to 170 episodes at this point, and most of them have featured guests. So probably over... 140, 150 unique guests so far. And every one of those guests has a story to tell that is unique to them, unique to their experiences, but there's some commonality that starts to pop up. And one of the things that I've, I've talked with several people about lately um, off, off the podcast is that commonality of um, gaining weight, whether it's through childhood or adulthood, as a result of some kind of trauma. 
is is a commonality. And I'm actually having a guest come back on uh, very soon, and we're going to dive into this idea of how trauma when we're younger can impact you know our lives as we go forward and grow into adulthood. And we're going to really kind of dive into that topic because I think it is something that men, women, everyone listening to, you know, can relate to uh, in terms of how they process the world and build that relationship with food. You know, I think that idea of, of trauma is something that we don't talk about enough, you know, even in the social media space. So um, pulling back the curtain on some of it, sharing my own personal experiences, the guests sharing theirs and talking about you know, what lessons we've all learned, I think will be really helpful for everyone listening, I hope. Next question. If you could sit down in a room with three people and just talk and enjoy their company, which three people would you pick? And when I was first thinking about this, I went to a place of, let me pick famous people living and dead and, you know, kind of go down that road. And instead, um, I realized that it's three people that I've actually had on the show several times that I would love um, at some point still in the future for the four of us to be in the same room. And that is the Fantastic Four. You can Google that to find the episodes or go back into the history of the, of the show. But that is um, Alex Poro, John Arpino, and Joel Reed. Um, I would love for the four of us someday to be able to sit down together, uh, break bread, even if for me it's, it's not real bread, um, and just be able to, to talk face-to-face. I think that would be really awesome. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but hey, the question was asked, so I answered it. Um, What is the next big something you're excited for that's not health, fitness, or weight loss related? This person is clearly trying to turn the tables of the Fat Guy 5 around onto me. So, um, not health, fitness, or weight loss related. Next big thing I'm excited for. That's going to be towards the end of June. My family is coming to visit. Uh, my sister, my parents, and the twins my parents are raising are coming out for a visit. We're all going to be in San Diego. And then it turns out one of my cousins is going to be out here at the same time. So um, it's going to be nice to connect, reconnect with family that I haven't seen in a while and um, just enjoy time with them. I think that will be awesome. So that's the next thing I'm excited about. Um, next question. I'm going to flip these two around so they make a little more sense. Um, why did you move out of the great state of Rhode Island? Well, as I, as I alluded to earlier, um, COVID hit and, um, the company I'd worked for, you know, had to make some hard decisions, um, in terms of reducing their workforce. Um, and I was one of the casualties of that. Um, that was a big, big thing. Um, I also had been a host of trivia at bars and restaurants for a long, long, long time. Um, almost 10 years. And obviously with, at that point, most restaurants closed, most bars closed, none of that was happening. So things got really kind of challenging for me personally. And then the building I was living in, my landlord was trying to sell the building. And so I was facing having to move and having to move during COVID restrictions and not having work, um, not necessarily able to you know, give, give a new landlord some faith that you'd be able to pay the bills. So some of my choices were really limited. Uh, my sister has lived out here in San Diego for decades, and we've always talked about living together, even if it's for a short period of time uh, or a long period. Um, and so I called her one night and said, hey, what do you think about that happening? And she said, yes, let's do it. 
And then a, a lot of things out here, you know, that were happening, you know, it, it was good that I came out, you know, that I was here uh, for her and her for me and all of that. So that is how I ended up here in sunny San Diego, living quite close to the airport, as you can always tell from listening on these recordings. Um, the question that follows up with that, though, is what's the most unexpected thing from your move to Southern California from the Northeast? Um, hmm. To me, the biggest thing, you know, about being out here is just the pace um, is very different. Um, it's a much fa faster paced life uh, in the Northeast um, of the United States. Like, there's a, a bit more of a relaxed vibe out here. And as a hardcore New Englander, adapting to that is always challenging. You know, I'm, an, I'm not only a hardcore New Englander, I'm an over-planner. And adapting to the take-it-easy attitude, you know, has been a challenge, I'll be honest. But hey, you know, again, it goes back to control what I can control. And I can't control that for sure. Next question, which I think is actually the last official question. Is it? Yes, it is. The last official question. And will you and Aaron do another live soon? So this is referring to on Instagram, um, Aaron Dupree, AD Keto, and I do lives often about movies or things we're watching, things along those lines. And with the recent release of the, set, the next Doctor Strange, we will be doing one soon. We'll probably give the movie a little bit of time to be out for people to see it. But I'm sure we will jump on a live soon to... Uh, bring our our learned opinions um, to all of you. So if you're not following me on Instagram, make sure you are at Gourmet Goes Keto. I'll throw a little plug in there for that. So there we have the Q&A. This, I think, is the longest Q&A that I've done because we got some really great questions. So I appreciate everyone out there listening. Like I said, I wanted to talk about how you can support the podcast and what I'm doing. So a couple different things. One... You know, when I asked, was asked that question about what am I excited about, what's coming up, um, but it said not health, fitness, or weight loss related. So I, my hands were tied a little bit, but then I remembered it's my podcast, so I can talk about whatever I want to. So I figured at the end we could talk about something I'm excited about that is very, very keto related, and that's that I will be at KetoCon this year in Austin, Texas. That is the second week of July. Um... And I'm actually going to be speaking. I'm going to be on the Success Stories panel, which I'm really excited about because I, I love the idea of being able to be a person who has lost a large amount of weight on keto, who's put some weight back on and is losing it again and gone through all of that so many times, but can share that experience that life isn't a straight line and that you can still be successful and you can still learn lessons and apply things and do all of that. So I'm really, really, really excited to be attending KetoCon and appearing at KetoCon, I guess is the best way to describe that. And if you are interested in coming to KetoCon and don't have tickets yet, there will be a link in the bio. You can use code GORMY10 to get a discount on a three-day pass for the event. And it's worth being there for all three days. Um, and that's not just for the amazing barbecue in Austin, Texas. We're going to be there. You know, if you are going, make sure we say hi. Some of the guests from the show are going to be there. I know for sure on that same success story panel with me is going to be David Herrera, also known as Keto D. I'm excited that, you know, we're going to be able to be there together. It's really John, the Keto Road, is going to be there. Aaron, AD Keto, is going to be there. So do your best to 
get there if you can, okay? And if you can't, I understand. But if you're thinking about it and having a little bit of a discount on your tickets helps, use that link in the bio. Let's talk about other ways to support the show. As I mentioned, there is a Patreon. You can sign up for that Patreon and get yourself, you know, it's just a way to support the show. I'm working on content for the, you know, I see a lot of people doing amazing things with Patreon. One of the things I'm thinking about doing is after show, kind of post-show interviews with the guests that are on the show. If that's something you're interested in, watch, you know, sign up for the Patreon, watch for that to be coming. I'm, I'm trying to work out the best way to format it. But I do want to get that going. Um, And I would love to create some more kind of unique content for my Patreon subscribers. And need to get, I think, some more people on there to do it. So if you listen to the show and you appreciate it and you listen to it every week and you've never done anything to support it, that's one way you can support the show. Because honestly, it's not free. Recording software, hosting, all of those things are a part. You know, this it costs me money to put this show out. And... Patreon is a way to help with that. Another way you can do help is shop the links in the show notes, specifically Redmond Real Salt. I've had a long relationship with Redmond Real Salt since my journey started. I use their products not just in cooking, but their pre-workout, their electrolytes, Redmond Relight. They're all a part of my daily routine. And when, when you ask yourself the question of like, can salt actually taste better than other salt? The answer is yes, it definitely can. And if you use code GORMY in the link in the show notes, you're going to save yourself 15% on that order. Plus, I'm going to get a kickback from that order. So it helps us both out because you get some amazing products and I get a little bit of, of, of money that I use to support this podcast. So check that out. And then, as I said, I would talk about some things that are coming up on the show. I have some guests coming who are people that have done some amazing things to change their lives and have been on some amazing roller coaster journeys. I'm excited for you to meet all those new guests that are coming up soon. And also, as I mentioned, very soon, going to be recording with a guest who is coming back to the show for us to talk about trauma and the impact of trauma on our weight and our health and our lives. I think that's going to be a really powerful episode, so I'm really excited to make that one happen. So lots of great things coming up soon here on the Fat Guy Forum. So make sure, if you're not yet, subscribe here on iTunes. Give us a rating. Five-star ratings and reviews help. Get this show in, from, in front of other people. So even if you can't do Patreon or Order Salt and you want to do something to support the show, rate, review, not just on here. You can now review podcasts on Spotify. You probably, I don't know if you can on Amazon Podcasts or not, but we're up on there. We're on Stitcher. We're on every podcast platform. Make sure you're subscribed and, you know, just continue being some pretty amazing people. Because as I always end every episode, it's corny, but I really do think you're the most amazing people I know because... You're out there paying attention, showing, giving some of your time to me and the guests on the show and honoring their stories. So I just truly appreciate you. So thank you, everyone who asked questions for this special episode of the Fat Guy Forum. We'll do another one soon because this was a lot of fun. And maybe we'll bring some past guests on to answer some questions too. So take care of yourselves, y'all. Go out there, do something to amaze yourself, then come on back and catch us here on the next episode of the Fat Guy Forum.